of course, trust Ronald D. Moore to make an intended bottle show with six guest stars and double shoots in most scenes, thanks to the nature of the shot, and an inordinate amount of post-effects. In fairness, they were actually very clever with how they constructed this episode. I, I know that sounds like a strange statement, but a lot of effort was made for them to seem like they're not on set at the same time, but they are. In short, I mentioned the double shoot problem, but they only had to do the double shoots in circumstances where they were clearly phasing through people or whatever. Basically shooting the same room and the same shot twice, and just having one half and then the other half. Instead, what they would usually do is have them be there and just have all the other actors pretend they're not there, and very carefully use the camera and them to not actually show the phasing. In fact, that's why they added the sound effect for the phasing, which otherwise serves no purpose. It's so that you can know when they're phasing. And if you pay attention, there's actually several times where you're, the shot's like over here, and you hear this in the background, and then they come into view. So you know they've just phased through something. But they don't have to actually show it. Very clever. Very clever. And this is an extremely technically impressive episode. It is also probably the biggest example of the cloud effect I can think of off the top of my head. And I mean that with total sincerity. This episode is total nonsense at almost every level. Its core premise is astonishingly flawed. I want to just nail these all right off the beginning here. So they're phased, which means they can't be seen, but they can still see. Okay, I'm willing to let that one go. Cloaks work that way, even though it shouldn't, but whatever. But they're phased, too, so they can go through stuff. So how are they breathing? And I know what you're thinking. Well, maybe they're not phased to the oxygen. Okay, I'll be willing to give it one. Um, okay, how can they hear anything, since there's no vibrations hitting them? Uh, here's another one. How are they able to do things like... You know what? Why don't I pull up a list? Why are they able to do things like LaForge sitting on the transporter pad in transporter room 3, Roe touching the navigator chair when she re re visits the bridge to say goodbye, LaForge and Roe sitting on benches in the shuttle as it's traveling to the Romulan ship, the Romulan sitting in the chair for a huge part of the scene on the Romulan ship, um, when she falls down, knocking the plant, like you can actually see the plant react to her being fall over. And of course, my personal favorite, them diving behind a couch to hide from a, a, a non-phased couch to hide from a phased explosion. Oh yes, and my personal favorite, and also the biggest one by far, how are they walking on anything? Now, I know what you're saying. Lore, come on. If, if they were truly phased, the episode wouldn't be possible. And you're absolutely right. That's my point. This episode is nonsense and makes no sense whatsoever. And I'll admit it, that bugs the crap out of me. Did I mention this is one of my VHS episodes? Like, one of my favorites? I can take a ridiculous and stupid premise that is very well done and still enjoy it. I just feel the need to point out the stupid, ridiculous part, too. It's just, I feel like I've been getting a lot of feedback on this lately, especially with the game reviews, the premiere runs and the IDCs I do. Because a lot of people say, well, why do you point out these negatives? You like this work. Why are you being so critical of it? And I, I feel like, I, I don't know, I have to defend my position on that. Because for me, 
I, it, it, in, in my opinion, it should be pointed out. We should acknowledge the flaws of a work and, and, and the, the points where it doesn't work and the criticisms of it. Otherwise, we just look at it and say, it's amazingly perfect, the end. And that can lead to well, fanboyism, as I define it, you know, the extreme of the matter. But it can also lead to not really acknowledging the amount of work and effort and reality that was put into it. Just because a thing has flaws doesn't mean it's bad. I love this episode, and it is total nonsense. This is also one of the bigger Row episodes that we ever get. Uh, one of the biggest ones. Uh, there was Row Laren, of course. There's this one, and there's the one she exits the show. And those are probably the big three right there. And um, it's a shame we didn't get more of her, because she's actually a very interesting character, and I feel like they could have done a lot more with her if they had bothered to. Which is funny in its own right, because this is actually originally a Troy and Jordy episode. And I've thought about it for some time, and I think Troy wouldn't have worked at all here. Uh, no no offense to Troy or Marina Sirtis, it's just, for this circumstance, that just doesn't line up. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, speaking of things that don't make sense, Troy can't sense them. I, I should point that out as well. Because apparently being phased also brought, blocks telepathy. But not air. Or the floor. <laughs> They could just walk around. They need to take turbulence. How the hell are they taking turbulence to get around on this ship? Anyways, I'm getting off track. But I wanted to get all, all that right up front. Because the majority of my complaints about this episode are solely based on that premise. The rest of it, in my opinion, is almost entirely gold. There's... What's funny is this is a character piece in its own right, but it's also a sci-fi piece. I'm reminded of Cause and Effect, an episode which wasn't really character-heavy, not in the way that you know, next week's episode will be, but and also wasn't you know a big setting-changer. It was just an overall good episode. This kind of slots into the same thing for me. Uh, Booby Trap, Cause and Effect, and The Next Phase are all three episodes that I just enjoy because of the nature of how it's constructed and how they execute their premise. I don't know how else to better put that, but let me let me say one final point of this, and I'll move on. I've always talked about the five points of story, right? Or rather, the six points of story. We've got char uh, plot, characterization, character growth, setting, theme, and fun. And this last point is always important, and we've talked about this a few times, especially on stream, because it's entirely possible to have a story that hits all five points, but not the sixth one. And it's possible to have a story that hits... None of these five points, but hits the sixth one. And that's kind of why I bring up something like these three episodes I just mentioned. Although, I suppose all three of them do have a degree of characterization going for them, but you get the point. Anyways. So Picard actually deals with the crisis quite well. In fact, he's very chunk. All right. Some of my crew members just died. And you could almost see him compartmentalize it. Because he ponders it for a moment, and then he immediately tosses it away and just goes right back into crisis mode and deals with the thing. We got to do this. We got to send these people over. Get the shuttlecraft going. I want a new medical. Uh, I want new engineer techs going out there immediately. Data. I want you to look into this. Go to this. Go to this. Go to this. And after he's finished giving his orders, that's when he finally takes a moment and goes, and just allows him one second of acknowledging the fact that crew under his command just died. Or at least he thinks they did, obviously. It's a nice little bit. Great, great, great little moments like that are throughout this episode. Uh, we also see... I forgot how to say this. The crisis of the 
moment actually prevents the whole reality of what's happening to settle in for the viewers. I, I say this because based on Moore's writing style, which is still developing at this point historically, but you, know, you can kind of notice his fingerprints here, you can kind of see how he constructed the narrative so they die, and then the next several minutes are all filled with dealing with the dilemma, which is basically the B-plot of the episode, if you want to think of it in such terms. But he shoved the B-plot right at the beginning and then fixed it within like the first several minutes of the episode. So the B-plot is done, concluded. But he positioned it so that the audience is more focused on what the hell's going on with the ship and the exploding warp core and trying to deal with that. And quite a bit of screen time and character effort is put into fixing this dilemma, this B-plot, before it's finally terminated. Then the episode takes a breather, the card heads down, and we get the first inclination. Now there's a nice period of escalation here. First of all, one of the nice things they do early on is, well, you're a human being, right? You are a human, right? And you're probably used to not walking through people because you're human. So if you suddenly woke up with the ability to face poop through people and didn't know it, you'd probably still walk around people. Like, if you're walking through a busy corridor, you'd be like, eh, or if you're going through the mall, or if you're going down the office at work or whatever, you get the idea, right? If you're in the bus, you kind of find a corner that's not taken. You can move through people, but you're not aware of it, so you automatically avoid people. Now, that makes perfect sense, and it's, of course, what Roe does, because she's used to that. She has no reason to suspect she can go through people. In fact, well, I'll get back to that, but thus, there's no real inclination for us, the audience, as to what happened at first. I, I have to point this out one last time. She's laying on the ground. She's phased and laying on the ground. Okay, that's it. Just had to point out one more time. We're done. We're done. Moving on. Moving on. Now, that being said, her laying on the ground is, once again, actually quite well written. It's a good visual cue, because Picard just walks right by her. This is interesting for two points. First, obviously, it's Roe. But more importantly, even before we know it's Roe, we know something's wrong, because Picard just completely ignored a crew member lying on the ground in the corridor. So something's up, right? Then camera pans over and we see it's her. Okay. So we pretty much immediately, right off the bat, without a single line of dialogue, get across the point that he can't see her. Somehow. He is not aware of her presence. Then... She gets up, and she's like, uh, okay, calm doesn't work. By the way, I'm sorry, I know I said I wouldn't bring it up again, but for some reason the Romulan's disruptor works after because he had it with him, but none of their equipment works. Whatever. Moving on. So, <clears throat> there, you know, there she gets up, nobody's responding to her, and she walks up to the door and nothing happens. This is the second big clue. Then someone walks through and she slips through, like, okay, that's weird. Then she starts trying to talk to people asking for help because she's not sure what's going on. This is the third big clue. And you notice each of these is far more obvious than the previous ones. Then she goes and she sees Picard and Crusher talking about the death certificate thing. And the final clue, which is at that point just stating it outright, is Picard walking through her. And notice that the only reason that happened is she put herself in his way to stop him, to physically stop him, because she wanted, at this point, to interact with him physically. You get me? Because that whole I'm trying to avoid people thing, when you're, it, it goes away when you actually have a reason to be like, look, you know, shake, shake their heads kind of a thing or whatever, shake their shoulders. 
and then he walks right through her, and that's the final point. Now, I bring this up because this is, in my opinion, pretty a, a pretty well-crafted escalation. The point is, the more you're paying attention, the earlier on you figure it out. But at one point or another, the episode will flat-out tell you what's going on without using dialogue, because Picard just walks through her, and at that moment, it's very apparent to anybody watching, even a kid or someone who's barely paying attention. And I don't mean that as an insult, by the way, to be perfectly clear. I mean, I've had, I know exactly what it feels like to get to the end of my night and just be like, ugh, and just want to, you know, watch and enjoy a show that I enjoy, right? So even if I am in mode, I can still get what's going on. And again, without the audience, stop, without the, excuse me, the episode stopping and turning to the audience and saying, so here's what's happening, as you know. So it's good escalation and good exposition. If you ever wonder why I praise Moore's writing, stuff like this is why. <sighs> Anywho. <clears throat> so. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. A quick aside, I want to give special praise to the actors on this episode. It is harder than you'd think to act... Uh, so basically to have someone present talking and for you to act like you can't see or interact with them. Like, that takes actual skill. Because, you know, the, you'll react. You'll flinch or you'll move away or your body will react. Or, so in some way or another, you will react to their presence. So it takes effort to not react to someone, which is even more difficult when they're actually yelling at you. I just wanted to give credit to that because there's a lot of scenes where actors have to act like the person inches from them is not there. And they do a good job with it. I wonder how many takes they had to do on this one. So Data starts slowly piecing things together, which is nice. And we see a nice little bit with Worf... Uh, talking about uh, the computer core. Now, this is actually interesting in its own right, because the idea here is, well, I'm just going to repeat myself back from Iborg. It is dangerous and risky to reach out a hand to help someone. You don't know what the reaction's going to be. And so Worf says, look, these people are in danger, and I'm not advocating we let them sit here and die, but we cannot simply give them too much. We have to be moderate in our response. And Riker agrees, so we'll give them an old core. It's a nice touch because it helps establish a point for later. So Ro goes to engineering to find Jordy, which is logical. And then we have the debate. Ro and Jordy's lo trying to logic their way through the situation. Now, I actually tried to look this up, and I just didn't know how to look this up. Um, 3 plus x equals y. Solve for y. <laughs> now, the answer is cannot solve, or whatever the proper term is for it. I couldn't think of the name of the proper term. It's the term when you do not have enough information to solve a problem. And it's true, it, it's a, actually a very common recurring thing in real life, but also in fiction. When you literally lack information, and the absence of the information means you cannot logically deduce or predict what's happening, right? That's what Roe and Jordy are going through here. They lack a variable. It's, it's just not there. So they have to, and if anyone knows the term for that, by the way, please feel free to tell me. I actually asked in my Discord. Nobody could tell me, so whatever. Anyways, point being, <clears throat> they're going through that logic problem. So they each come with different results, which kind of fit the pieces. But again, because they're lacking pieces, they can't actually say definitively. Roe thinks they're dead. Jordy thinks something happened to them. So they kind of split up in how they're going to deal with this. Roe being more internally emotionalized and Jordy being more intellectually externalized, which is a good variance point. You could argue that Troy would have had the same thing, but I don't agree. First of all, 
we don't know basically anything about Betazoid, you know, beliefs or anything. Second of all, well, like I said, Roe fits the, the, the bill a lot better. <laughs> it even allows us the recurring thing with Riker. Poor Roe. Like three times Riker's like, I, I want to say something about Vincent Roe. And Riker and Roe have butted heads quite literally since the first moment they met. But then there's Conundrum. You remember Conundrum, right? And Riker and Roe. I, uh, I'm actually very curious what Riker really does think of Roe in this circumstance. But of course, they never tell us because, haha. Anywho. But I do like how she has some pretty valid points. They're intangible, no one can see them, no one can interact with them. You know, right? The problem here is it is a little bit too easy to take Geordi's side. Uh, ignoring the fact that this is a Star Trek show and they're not going to kill off the characters. And they're not going to deal with the afterlife. Not in a Star Trek show, not like this. No, it is easy to take Geordi's side because, and I quote, I'm some kind of blind ghost with clothes. But there's actually other things, and I thought about this. The episode never brings up either point. They say they go for two days phase, right? Have you ever been two days without water? Because I have. And by the end of the first day, it starts to get pretty bad. Have you ever been two days without going to the bathroom? Or, you know, two days without eating? To use the They actually bring up the eating point. I'm just saying, it should have been pretty obvious that they were still human beings, still biological beings, pretty quickly. Anyways, <clears throat> especially once they started getting tired. They did sleep at some point, right? Anywho. I, I also have to mention, okay, I praised the, the directing style of making sure that there's a lot of ways to avoid special effects of phasing. But it's awfully convenient how many people are constantly going in and out of rooms because it means they can slip in and out of the doors without having to do a phasing shot of going through the door. And they do that almost constantly through the episode. It's almost funny, but I digress. So Roe goes up to the bridge to say goodbye to nameless people. That's kind of an empty scene. I think the scene that works a lot better is Roe approaching Picard. I actually haven't said this all that often, but Michelle Forbes is actually a pretty good actress. Uh, she does a pretty good job over in Battlestar Galactica, funnily enough, and she does a pretty good job of Rolaren here. And I really lament we didn't get to see more of this. The way she acts to and at Picard, and Patrick Stewart's just standing there doing, or sitting there doing nothing, is a very powerful and very well done scene. And I love her line, I'm dead, you can't see me, and I'm still, in, I still find you intimidating as hell. It's a very nice scene. And it helps to showcase how much impact he has had on her life. And, of course, that'll come up in the third Big Row episode, too. So Worf is happy for them dying. Data kind of showcases how much of a friend he is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we find out that the Romulans are willing to kill their rescuers in order to try and preserve the experiment they're doing. I told you that point would come up again. See... On the one hand, it's actually funny, because they, they are probably genuinely grateful. But on the other hand, they're willing to kill the people who saved their lives. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. As I said, it is dangerous to reach out a hand to help someone. It's actually funny. They, I, I remember thinking the thought, how could the Enterprise crew not notice the screw-up in the warp core? Well because Geordi points out they would need a level 3 diagnostic to detect it. So they could detect it if they had a reason to do that. 
And apparently, and I, I could comment on this, but apparently it's not common procedure to do that kind of diagnostic before going to warp. Which maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't, but, you know, valid points either way. So, yeah. I, I want to give very special praise. There's a scene where Data starts to piece things together, and he's purging things with the anionic beam or whatever. And Geordi goes through the console several times. I want to give special praise to that scene, not only because of how well done it is, but because they go above and beyond to actually show Geordi's reflection in the console going back and forth as he's phasing through it. Very well done reflect shot, especially for the time. Although, granted, I'm watching the Blu-ray on this, but if you watch the original DVDs or the original VHS, you'll see the same thing. It's good, it's good stuff. So then the episode kind of speeds up. The Romulan comes over, you know, there's the big threat of the Romulan, oh my gosh, how are we going to deal with this? And then there's the thing building up in the warp core. I actually mentioned not too many episodes ago uh, the difference between the three types of tension. Just to cover those again really quick, there's the character knows, or excuse me, the audience knows and the character does not. There's the audience knows and the character does, and there's the audience does not and the character does. This is one of the rare examples of audience knows and characters know. It still works because only half the characters know. So we know there's a threat, and the characters know the threat, but none of the other characters know there's a threat. So this is still building tension. Oh, my God. And there's this constant, like, oh, God, no. I actually distinctly remember, I'm sitting there with my mom, and she actually shouted at the TV once, no, when <laughs> they were going to go to warp. Because it was so casual. It's a wonderful form of tension. It's the form of tension where nothing's wrong until it all goes completely terrible. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of rare to see that pulled off properly. And so she's like, no, because, I mean, if they go to warp, they're dead. dead, dead. Oh, okay, something got in the way. Something got in the way. Okay, we're cool, we're cool. <laughs> and it just keeps happening. Like, twice in the episode, they almost go to warp. And then they're like, hang on. Hang on. So then we cut down to the funeral, which is actually a great shot. Uh, and also shot. It's a great scene. And they do a lot of great stuff because it's kind of a loud scene anyways. So the fact that they're kind of running around dealing with this while not being noticed kind of slides in neatly, and they almost have to kind of shout over each other and all that. I, I'm sorry, I just realized I didn't really talk about the Romulan stuff. So there's the, the Romulan who's been phased too, who clearly, you know, wants to get unfazed. I just wanted to give praise to the action sequence there. First of all, Michelle Forbes does a good job of it. But second of all, there's a lot of really short shots that are fully the, the full post-processed, uh, full-phasing effect shots. And each of them lasts only a few seconds. If you've spent any time in editing or visual effects, you know that those few seconds took a long time to make. But I think they did a good job with each of them, because there's multiple, and then they cut to a, a much cheaper scene where it's just, you know, the camera going down and following two actors who are standing next to each other. And then they cut back to the effects scene. Once again, stretching that budget and trying to make it look as good as they possibly could with the limitations of time and money of the time. So... Just praise for that whole sequence. And, of course, the Romulan gets tossed out, and that's just, uh, that's kind of horrible. Like, he's got all kinds of ways to die there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Anywho, if we're lucky, he won't die of starvation. <laughs> Since maybe they don't need air in this circumstance? I don't know. Anyways, getting back to my point. So we get to the funeral scene. And there's this great bit. I mentioned the, the type of tension because there's this desperation as, as Jordy's like, please, Data, please put this together. Please be right. Oh, God. Anybody. <laughs> and, of course, Data manages to see them for a moment. 
And there's this relief. And I want to give special praise to that scene, too. All of the actors present show the relief they had that their friends are alive. Even Data, in his own unique way. It's a very heartwarming scene. And I love it. So then they have the nice uh, denouement. You know, Jordy's munching. Roe is debating. Jordy mentions, as an aside, they should make their own phasing thing. <clears throat> Pegasus! <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a quick thought, and this is the last thing I wanted to mention on this episode. If Anions can take care of cloaking, like to, to, can permanently decloak something, why don't they have some way to project those on a large scale? Like, we think there's cloaks here. <clears throat> Just food for thought. Overall, an very enjoyable episode. I hope you have enjoyed my thoughts on the matter, and I look forward to seeing yours. I'll see you next time.